Well, it is good to be gathered uh, today, and with the coming of Advent, we're starting a new sermon series for this season called Unto Us, and throughout this Advent series, we're going to be looking at the words of the prophet Isaiah, who uh, uh, foretold the coming of a, a Messiah, an anointed rescuer, and he foretold that in many ways, the, the original promises of God for a Messiah. And as Isaiah anticipated the coming of that Messiah, we long for Jesus' second coming, and we hope to grow in our anticipation of that. And we'll we'll look at some scripture from Isaiah 7 in just a moment, but before we read the text, I wanted to set it up for you quickly so that that I hope you could listen uh, better to what was going on in the passage. So just a couple pieces as we think about hearing this scripture. First, the characters present in this passage. Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. This is after Israel divided into two kingdoms. Pekah is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Rezin is the king of Aram, uh, loosely the nation we know today as Syria with its capital of Damascus. Here's what the map looked like. Judah's down in the south, the the aqua-colored country. That's where Ahaz was king. Israel's in the middle in the blue. That's where Pekah was king. And uh, Aram, Damascus is to the north there. That's where Rezin was king. Now, at this time in history, Assyria was a rising power in in the world. Uh, Nineveh, remember that place uh, to which Jonah did not want to go, was the capital of Assyria. Nineveh is in what we know today as northern Iraq, around Mosul or Kirkuk, somewhere in in that kind of area. So it would have been north and east of of this map you see on the screen. Uh, Everybody was afraid of Assyria, so much so that uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Aram decided to team up against Judah to the south, even though Israel and Aram were ancestral enemies historians guess that their purpose was to take out Ahaz, the king of Judah, for the purpose of replacing him with a king who was more favorable to the idea of a kind of defensive block of countries, kind of their version of NATO, countries allied together for self-defense against the rising power of Assyria. So that's a little of what's going on in this story. And the Lord had something to say to Ahaz, So he sent the prophet Isaiah to convey that message. Let's listen now to God's word. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forests are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. 
Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our primary concern. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 2 again. Now the house of David, that's just a fancy way to say Judah, by the way, the southern kingdom, the house of David was told Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. Ephraim is just a fancy way to say Israel, the northern kingdom. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. When Ahaz and his people heard the news of this alliance formed against them, they were terrified. Remember the map, it was a big alliance that had been formed against them. For Judah, this meant their two biggest neighbors to the north were now not only against them, but planning to attack them. And that news was terrifying. Ahaz and his people were shaken, says the text, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. The word picture is not one of a gentle breeze with trees swaying. Uh, The word picture is that of a storm. 
You know, when, when have you seen trees shaken? Not just blowing, but seemingly about to come down. That's what this felt like. See, for Ahaz and his people, this was one of those moments in life where everything changes. The moment before hearing this news, life felt normal. The moment after hearing this news, life felt completely out of control. Just in in an instant, there was fear, uncertainty, helplessness, overwhelming wave of emotion. And you, you know those times. They, they call into question our faith. It was a storm of life. Everything was being shaken. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you are experiencing that right now. You know, a heart-shaking event that's frightening and feels like a storm. That's where Ahaz was. And God says uh, to us the same thing he said to Ahaz in, in, in times like this. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Or put another way, Okay, that might be a little too simple. But the spirit of it is there, right? Be, be careful. When you're in a storm, it's, it's the difference between walking on a sidewalk and walking on a steep, narrow, slippery trail with rocks. On the sidewalk, you just cruise along. On that steep trail, you're careful. You, you think out every step. And keep calm because the natural reaction would to become anxious. And don't be afraid because the natural reaction would be to fear. And, and regarding the specific storm Ahaz was facing, God made a promise. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. So now God has spoken. The sovereign Lord made a statement. And the question is whether we'll believe it, trust it, and act accordingly. What would Ahaz do? I'll I'll tell you what he was sorely tempted to do. He was sorely tempted to grab his cell phone and get the king of Assyria on the line and say, Hey, I got, I got a situation over here. I got, I got Aram and, and Rezin and, and they're, they're, they're teaming up against me and, and it's not feeling good. I could really use a little help. Could we work something out? The, this storm of life was causing Ahaz to consider placing his trust in his enemy rather than God. 
I mean, think about that. The storms of life have the power to tempt us to redirect our trust from God to something or someone else we know to be unreliable. God went through all of the logical reasons Ahaz should trust him, should believe his promise. Resin and Pekka are just a couple smoldering stubs of firewood. It's kind of like God saying, yeah, you smell smoke, but there's no real fire here. The head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is, quote, only resin. It's like God saying, yeah, you know, that guy thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, but not so much. And the head of Ephraim is, is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is, quote, Ramalia's boy. God doesn't even use King Pekka's name. He calls him his father's boy. It's, it's like God saying, hey, and you don't need to worry about, you know, you know, Israel either. They've got Ramalia's little kid running the show over there. And Wait, what, what's his name again? I mean, these are the logical reasons Ahaz should trust God. But as we all know, in the face of a storm, sometimes logic goes out the window. And God knows that. And and he tells it straight to Ahaz and to us. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And, and this is way beyond the, the trite, oh, just believe in the face of a deeply painful or, or troubling season of life. This is not that. See, Christian faith is never a blind faith. Faith is not a leap in the dark, as one author put it. You know, God didn't leave Ahaz alone to figure out how to stand in his faith, how to stand firm in his faith, God offered a sign. Now, now back in the Old Testament, most of the signs that God offered were not intended to create faith, but to confirm it. Look, Look at God's invitation. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. God says, ask me for a sign to confirm your faith. Anything you want, Ahaz, I'll give it to you because I want to confirm that you can trust my promises. But Ahaz refuses God's invitation. Did you catch that in the story? And and one commentator wrote this, maddeningly, Ahaz does so with an appeal to piety. See, what was going on, Ahaz uh, said that to ask God for a sign would be to test God and, and that was forbidden in the Torah so far be it from him to violate trust in God and, and ask God for a sign even though God just invited him to do that. See, the, the testing referred to in the Torah is, is not asking for a sign but actually failing to believe God's promise. That's what it meant to test God in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, we test God when we fail to believe his promises. Which, ironically, was the exact temptation Ahaz was facing as he considered placing his trust in his enemy Assyria rather than in the word of God. 
Thus, Ahaz was already considering, probably leaning toward the possibility of testing God by not believing his promise. And this, this is the, the kind of veneer of religiosity. I mean, you've bumped into this, right? It, it, it looks spiritual on the outside, but it's just a veneer. And what's behind it is really not worth anything at all. Thus the Lord's frustration with Ahaz and and, and his people. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Let's not miss how amazing this is, how stunning this promise is. Right in the middle of God's frustration over human unbelief, God promises to come in person to be with us and to be our God again. Emmanuel, God with us. There's a whole sermon right there. But the point for today is that as Christians, our faith has a foundation. It's not a leap in the dark. It was Alec Motier who who put it this way. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It is a leap into light. Decision on the basis of evidence. And that's why we as Christians can stand firm in our faith. Again, it's not the, oh, just believe thing. The ask is not to believe something that's unbelievable. The ask is to stand firm in the light we've already received and in the faith upon which we've decided based upon evidence. Namely, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The foundational evidence for the Christian faith. See, the sign God offered as a confirmation to Ahaz has become for us the foundation of faith. Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And and we know that in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the culmination of God's saving purpose for the world, God's heart for everyone everywhere. See, all Christian faith is focused on Jesus He is both the foundation and the object of our faith. And choosing to trust him, to have faith, is very much a decision on the basis of evidence. I I don't know about your journey of faith. I, I remember mine quite distinctly. I remember a time in life when I was considering faith in Christ. I was a senior in college. And I was plagued with doubts and and questions and wonderings if this was for me or if I could move forward in faith and it sure didn't feel like I could. And looking back on it, I I think I was treating faith uh, something like a math problem where you have to work it all out and show your work before you turn it into the teacher. And in my mind, I I was thinking I had to to chart every last detail and understand exactly how everything worked before I submitted my faith to God. 
And I've learned that that doesn't work for multiple reasons. One, no one anywhere has it all figured out. If anybody did, it wouldn't be faith. Right? Faith is always faith. It involves a step into the unknown. And, and with regard to Christian faith specifically, it involves trusting someone, trusting your whole self to someone you can't see. You know, my story is why uh, Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 3 became so important to me. Uh, it, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and rely not on your own understanding. You can't do the math problem and show all the work and, and, and submit it to God. You see, we don't, we don't submit our perfect faith to God. We submit to God so he can make our faith perfect. We, we always come with nothing to offer. We just bring ourselves as broken and confused as we are and say, God, here I am. That, that's faith. We confront storms in life just like Ahaz did. You know that. I know that. Life is hard sometimes. In them, we are, at least I know I have been tempted, to redirect trust from God to something or someone else, to, to place trust in a worldly solution to the problem. And the promise of Emmanuel means we can and should have faith in the storms of life. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. May it be so to us, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith. Uh, We know that we did not create our faith on our own. We know that you cause that faith to grow in us by your spirit. So help us, God, help us in our faith. Help us in our unbelief. Help us turn to you. Help us trust you. Not kinda, not mostly, but wholly. Help us release to you fully. Show us where we're hanging on to something too tightly, trying to control or um, solidify our security by some worldly solution and, and, and help us release that to you, God. You are the Lord of life. You created everything and your intent is to redeem and renew. God, thank you. Pour out your spirit on us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.